the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics as we roll into the second half. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as always. Thank you. And um, last but not least, our uh, political operative, Bobby Clayton Walton, who joins us from time to time. Bobby, it's always a treat to have you with us. Thank you. I always enjoyed it. That first half went by really fast. It did. <laughs> uh, Tom, can I, can, I have a, can I have a comment here? Sure. I want to compliment uh, our erudite, uh, rightly read third chair on something she's mentioned. And I looked it up. And she was right, and so was the rest of us. This is how to protect your board of directors. Proper insurance coverage on, and I'm reading this from the webpage, and other risk management strategies can help ensure that your organization and the board of directors are protected against liability. For more information about this, then you need to contact uh, an insurance company. So they do buy insurance uh, to uh, back up uh, the disclaimer clause. Yep. Yeah, so uh, that's how it works. If you want to uh, reread this or Get more information on it. You should go to the website because it's really yeah. a common practice. Yeah. What's um, what What's the site, Henry? It's um, how to protect your board of directors. Eastern Insurance. Oh, okay. Okay. Is, is that what applied to the Clio School Board, Henry? Yeah, it applies uh, to all of the boards. Yeah, even, I assume. Okay. Um, and not only public boards, but also uh, non-public boards. Because they all face the same kind of liabilities. Well, here's another story out of uh, this one out of Lansing, and and it's kind of an appropriate follow-up to what we were just talking about before we ended the first half of of today's edition of Armchair Politics. Michigan's GOP-led Senate approved a hotly contested bill on Tuesday that would roll back personal and corporate income tax rates, uh, moves that would save residents and businesses money but substantially impact state revenue and programming. The measure, approved by a 22 to 16 party line vote, would reduce the personal income tax rate from 4.25% to 3.9%. It includes a substantially larger cut of the corporate income tax rate from 6% to 3.9%. The massive cuts, along with new tax deductions for seniors and parents, would reduce tax collections by more than $2.5 billion by the 2024 financial year, according to an analysis from the Senate Fiscal Agency. What will state revenue look like when federal COVID relief dollars run out? That's exactly the question I was raising. I mean, it looks like we're almost, as we get into the election year, it's almost like we're in a race to see who can cut taxes the most. And again, that's very popular, and it sounds good for your for your campaign slogan. But again, I'm afraid a couple of years down the road, we're going to be looking at some very nope. tough yes. financial situations. 
we were going to be looking uh, at were 12 foot potholes in the road, and we're going to be looking at a struggle to keep our state economy going. That right. was the stupidest management decision that they could have made, but politically it makes them look like heroes because yep. they're taking they're taking the public obligation to keep our shared resources in good shape or at least put them in good shape and let them deteriorate further so that they can then run for office and complain about the state of the infrastructure. Yeah, and in addition to that, uh, they make no provision to retire the debt that's eating us up. Uh, uh, that Some of that money we need in the coffers to pay back the money that we owe to the American people and our uh, worldwide obligation to other people. Are you That's talking about the state of Michigan? No, I'm no, talking about the federal about government. In general, federal government. Well, yeah, that's another issue that there. I mean, the, the state's got to have a balanced budget technically. But yeah, it has to have a balanced budget. Technically, but yeah, the, I say. The <laughs> idea of cutting taxes to, to, uh, to drive political ideology is not a favorite thing of mine. It's a really stupid decision. As I say, it's a graceful campaign slogan, but you end up paying for it in the end. And, you know, a few years down the road, we're going to have a financial crisis and deteriorating yeah. infrastructure and, and schools lacking funds and a lot of other things that are going to come up on the short end of the stick. I guess I just end up... Knows, a fifth grader knows that. I, I just end up pleading for some common sense. I remember when um, uh, taxes started uh, being levied, uh, you know, sin taxes on cigarettes in particular, and then they used the money to get people to quit smoking. Well, okay, that's fine, but if everybody quits smoking, then you don't collect that tax anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, of course, I was always a, kind of a militant smoker, but um, it just it didn't make sense to me. You know, if but you, when you balance it out, when you put it on uh, the scale of balance, you either smoke and kill yourself or you smoke and be admitted to the hospital and you are going to pay with either the, with the right hand or the left hand. You should let people decide their own fate. But they, you there's know, a little bit of a survival of the fittest in there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's just a, this this sense like like right now there's all this extra money in Lansing from the federal government because of COVID relief packages, and yeah, so it looks like we're really flush, but they haven't they haven't really finished writing the bills to spend that money to try to get the economy going again and they're going to they're they're not prioritizing long-term things to do with that money thank you and then on top of it they're exercising these tax cuts and that cuts out the revenue. So they spend all the money that we've got on programs, you know, short-term and long-term. Hopefully there'll be some long-term. And then the money's gone, and the state can't operate without cutting a bunch of programs because we cut the revenue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we that, used the revenue we had in a very stupid way. Um, one, right. of the things that, one of the things that occurs to me, and maybe you guys are more knowledgeable about it than I am, uh, who is it that is making the decision? Is it up to the governor to make recommendations to the legislature to appropriate the funds? Is it up to the agencies to come forward with plans that they then present to the governor who presents to the legislature? What is the process for deciding how these COVID funds will be applied. Well, the federal government has already given the template. It has to, it cannot be used for anything other than COVID. But well, I know that. But the, the we have to decide what COVID what, could be a broad thing. Right, uh, right. Where, where do we place it? You know. Well, well yeah, exactly. A lot of businesses closed because of COVID. 
So does that yeah. mean that uh, economic development um, and tax breaks for businesses is is uh, COVID spending? Or can you, uh, can, can you, can you use the well money to, to pave the roads so somebody can drive to a restaurant that was 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 about to close? I mean, it, you can stretch it pretty far, depending how you define what's tied to related to COVID in some way. Um, yeah, some of the COVID money. We just talked with. Uh, I'm the treasurer of my church, and last week we just talked with our CPAs. And there's a program, uh, federal and state. I guess it's COVID related, where we can apply for. The employment taxes that we paid, and our church is entitled to at least $20,000 refund of the employment taxes we paid by keeping our staff employed during the COVID crisis. Hmm. Now, that's a COVID-related... interesting. Yeah. yeah, I was surprised to hear about it. But that's one of those COVID-related fun things. But with respect to the question that Tom asked, um, who decides all of this? We need more definition from Washington to clarify that. So no, I think that state. was I think that was Bobby's question, and it is a good oh, okay. one. And and I okay. think Henry, I think you're right. I think the the federal government sends some recommendations. I don't think there's a real template that says spend the money this way. And yeah. and maybe and maybe there should be maybe maybe. Maybe the state needs a czar to figure out how to how to do the spending of this money the way Flint has uh, been trying yeah, to. to it, it sounds like as long as you can make a case that somehow it's even vaguely related to COVID, that you can probably spend the money for that project. And if pressed far enough, you can probably tie all kinds of things to COVID in some way or another, even vaguely. Right. If you live in Shiawassee yeah, County and you're on the board of commissioners, you can give yourself a raise. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, but, but yeah. any this, uh, um, money that's spent in the state of Michigan is under the scrutiny of regulators in Washington. So this could go on for years of moving back and forth, what's right, what's wrong, what's legal, what's not, and how do you know? We need a lot more definition from Congress or from re the regulatory authorities. Well, I think what they generally do is tell you what you can't do with it, and then that gives you a sort of a broad definition of what you might be able to do with it. I don't know. But you asked some very specific questions. Can the COVID money be used uh, to protect people who were laid off or whatever? And uh, uh, through various applications of the COVID well, dollars. some of the COVID dollars that were... Uh, appropriated by the federal government early on went through that PPP program where businesses who kept their employees employed yes. were given guaranteed loans right. that were, yeah. could be forgiven. And um, I thought that was too much of a time bomb. I didn't want to touch that one. Well, I just but, got an email from somebody who was given some money under one of those programs for a, a very small business, uh, basically a proprietorship of some sort. And and then just recently he got uh, a notice from the feds that his <laughs> business didn't qualify for the money he'd been sent, oh, asking for it back. Oh, oh. yeah. That, that's yeah. the thing, guys. That was, that was always a possibility because that did come to my church because we have a few staff members, most of them part-time, and the question was, do we want to apply for this money? And I said, no. There are too many what-ifs in there, and you wind up having a loan that you thought was going to be a grant. And no, we don't want that. So we didn't get it. Yeah. Good, good show. Good job by you. Well, I'm sort of, I'm sort of conservative. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't believe so, but I'll take it. <laughs> Nobody would apply that term to you, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it I was talking to once, and I asked him how they leaned, and he said, uh, I'm a Romney Republican, meaning George Romney. He said, uh, I'm uh, a fiscal conservative but a social liberal. Yeah. No, yeah. that was George Romney. Yeah, yes, very much yeah. so. Yeah. I call myself a, a radical centrist. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! Um, well, let's see. I, I I have something I wanted to 
move on to from Lansing before we get to some of the national stuff. Um, but uh, but we have a break coming up here um, in about 50 seconds or so. So I, rather than try and dig into something, I, I've actually been pretty good. I haven't had to cut anybody off yet today. I was going to speak if you have just a few seconds. I see there's a meeting tonight for the Flint City Council trying to redo the wards. They're still working on the ward maps for the city of Flint. Oh, really? And at the meeting tonight at 5.30, apparently. At, you uh, get out at 1 in the morning. Yeah, probably, probably true. Probably true. It should last till midnight. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, yeah, just I can't, going through I my can't, computer I, and I saw the notice here. I can't go to council meetings because, you know, I have to work tomorrow. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> we are going to take a short break, but we'll be back with more of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? Mm. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. The uh, <clears throat> Michigan Senate and House uh, overwhelmingly approved spending $1.2 billion to expand COVID-19 testing in schools and elsewhere, retain beleaguered health care workers, and otherwise combat the ongoing pandemic. Both chambers adopted the supplemental funding measure on Tuesday, the Senate by a 36-2 margin, and the House with a 98-6 signaling bipartisan support and progress toward using the more than $7 billion in federal pandemic relief funds sent to the state. The House approved a slightly different version than the Senate, meaning the upper chamber will need to vote for the new bill before it can uh, go to Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Um, But all that aside, uh, conferencing and so on, uh, is this a done deal? I believe it is. Yeah, the the Republicans have uh, joined ranks with uh, some of the Democrats, and that means that this is a goal because they have collectively put together a strategy that's workable and that the people will not object to. It's probably something they can live with is what it comes down to. I yes. Suppose. It sounds like something they can also defend on both sides. Yes. And it also sounds like something that's going to bring the... the amount of money they have to spend down without those long-term projects we talked about. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer said Friday that the state is eager to step up to help end the truck blockade at the Ambassador Bridge between Windsor and Detroit. But at this juncture, it is on the Canadians to resolve this with the uh, protesters. Has Canadian Prime Minister uh, Trudeau resolved the logjam at the border? No. No, I, I, I think he's still against it. He he doesn't understand that people have a right to protest for uh, civil and civil disorder cases uh, is, and not to be condemned. But they don't they have the right. Speech. They don't have the right. between two countries and, and the way they have. I mean, this is a... Very unusual for for Canada to protest this, protest this is, way. Yeah, the yeah. Canadians are supposed to be this, this polite country that doesn't do this kind of thing, and it's mm-hmm. really gotten very nasty. Not just in in Michigan here, but I gather along the uh, Montana borders and some places in North Dakota had some similar issues too, even on their smaller smaller road connections. But you well, railed that. He's railed that. It's not just it's not just the economic impact. There's a safety impact. You don't have the right to protest and put other people's safety in jeopardy. You can't block a bridge like that where people can't get across. I know. and <clears throat> But the truckers feel that they can do civil disobedience in a peaceful well, it's way. Civil disobedience, yeah. and civil disobedience implies that you pay the price for your disobeying a law. That's the yeah, there, there, were, there were a number of people who were in those those, those lines of, car, of trucks and cars that were not part of the process. They were just simply stuck there and had no way of getting out. <laughs> yeah. A little bit like but some But don't of our forget r- that civil disobedience started this country. Well, we threw that key and, overboard. And we either hung That's together right. or we hung separately. It's <laughs> yeah. paying the price yeah. for what you, you choose yeah. to do. Did you hear what yeah. Rand Paul said Thursday? Senator oh, I hope it was good. Not so much. It's Republican, always good by Rand. Republican sure. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky said he hopes trucker protests come to the United States as soon as this weekend to clog up major U.S. cities. Mm. Asked by Not the, a good idea. Um, he, he said Thursday that it'd be great if the anti-mandate truck-inspired protests popped up in the United States to clog things up. I'm all for it. Paul, a longtime opponent of masking and vaccine mandates, told the conservative media outlet. Um, is is Paul being reckless, or is there a definitive upside for him in making 
these statements. Well, that, that's kind of his style. But you know, what's really strange to me is that with these protests, all, many of these mandates are falling by the wayside anyhow. I mean, as, as yes. the pandemic eases, they're being yes. dropped all over the place anyhow. And now, maybe you could have expected this a year ago, but it's really strange yeah. to see all these protests now when it seems at the moment, at least, like the mandate idea is, <laughs> is gradually fading. Yeah, but science is leading the way. Uh, science is leading the way. Then. Don't you think it's political? How yes. about but, that? But you have to have some science there to make logical. Uh, well, argument. nothing logical comes out of Rand Paul's mouth, so I didn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's logic based on both sides. What people think on both sides, they have to come to an agreement that it makes sense. And the people well, who still argue this are people who are one-sided and won't change. So the other people are in the majority, so we move in the direction of the majority. That, <laughs> that COVID is a near over, and we can begin relaxing some of the restrictions. Okay, Henry, where do you get your numbers about majority? The majority, uh, it's the people. It's Democrats and Republicans, just like what we said, uh, how the state was going to spend the COVID dollars. Well, majority is over 50%. Majority is over 50%. I don't see any yeah. statistics that say that. Uh, well, I'm saying it because it's dropping. And the evidence is out there that COVID criticism is dropping throughout the United States. And that's based on scientific evidence. You have to have some place to derive your information. And I have to, I'm deriving mine from what the scientists are saying. And what some politicians are saying. But not, I don't always follow politicians. They never get it right. You know, well, one strange thing about the Canadian process was I, I had seen some numbers that said that 90% of the Canadian truck drivers were already vaccinated anyhow. And so yeah. that, was, uh, that was also mystifying. Why, why in Canada and why those kind of protests when... Uh, the, the great majority of, of the truck drivers there were already vaccinated. Yeah. But then I was being wishy-washed by the perceptions in the press and and opinion polls. So that's what Christy. Are you making it political? I, I don't know. Are you? Did I hear you say Democrats? Did I hear you say Democrats? No, I did not say Democrats. I, don't, I never oh, criticized Democrats. Democrats. Listen, I, I never criticized Democrats. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, Perry Johnson, have a right. Perry Johnson, a newcomer to the crowded Republican race for governor in Michigan, is placing, uh, or placed rather, a big bet on Sunday's Super Bowl. Johnson, a self-described quality guru, is the only Michigan candidate for statewide office who purchased broadcast TV time around the uh, big NFL championship game between the L.A. Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals, according to the FCC. Uh, Former Republican Governor Rick Snyder, who, like Johnson, was a businessman and a political unknown, introduced himself to Michigan voters as one tough nerd during the 2010 Super Bowl. He also ran a Super Bowl ad when he successfully sought re-election in 2014. According to Johnson's campaign, ads before, during, and immediately after the Super Bowl which will air around the state are part of a $1.5 million ad buy to introduce Johnson to Michigan voters. The broader ad program on NBC affiliates will begin to air Saturday and run through mid-March, including spots during the evening news, the Olympics, Jeopardy, and Wheel of Fortune. Um, will the Snyder playbook be as effective against an incumbent governor? I, I'm not so sure, and the reason I say that is because we have this habit in Michigan of re-electing our governors to at least a second term. We fa- we've not failed to do that for the last almost almost 50, 60 years. So I, based upon history, you think most incumbents do have a a real solid shot as a at re-election. But that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's the first ad I've seen for for governor's race this year is the one I around the Super Bowl. Isn't he vying for the nomination? Well, yes. there's, what, there's, what, 13 Republicans running, so it's going to be yes. a, a catch He is. Uh, and he's making this claim. His claim is that there's no accountability in state government 
we're racing between the parties to see who can spend the greatest amount of money with little uh, impact that, uh, you know, uh, drives the quality of life for the people that it serves. And without other details, that's the premise on which he's running. He says that they're just, well, just spending money. You know, it is interesting. It does kind of parallel, as, as Tom said, Rick Snyder's thing, the one tough nerd. Here he talks about the the, the ad was talking about he bases things on st- statistics and quality control and so forth. It, and, and it clearly makes the point that he's not a politician, not a political guy. He's a business business guy in the, in the auto industry. And it's, again, very similar to what Rick Snyder was doing uh, when he was coming in. Well, I don't think we need more business people in government. I think we need more more people who know how to run the government. And I'm not sure that knowing how to run a business gives you any any preparation for running a government. Because if I remember Snyder's, one of his biggest downfalls that I criticized him for was to think that the government didn't have to be open and honest and accountable to the people by um, practicing corporate secrecy and corporate behind-the-door deals and corporate protection of data and information so the public was kept uninformed. So business is not a government. It always strikes me as strange as how that phrase, you know, put a businessman in government and sell so well. I mean, there's no guarantee that somebody's a good businessman to begin with, and be running a government's an entirely different operation in many, many ways than running a business to begin with. So it's, but it's a it's a common slogan you hear all the time when you know elect so and so. Well, yeah, and the 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 Trump phrase the phrase that seems to really sell it, Paul, is this idea that government should be run like a business. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that, that makes sense to people that are concerned about accounting and accountability but yeah. at but the end of the day means open to the public right of course yeah but at the but end of the day they have two different bottom lines yeah, but yeah, yeah i would say that the, the the strength that rick snyder had of being a good bean counter was also his main weakness i mean the, you, it's nice to balance the budget but that's all you do you're going to end up with things like the flint water crisis so, I mean, as I say, the very strength that he had, I and mean, he was very good at balancing the budget and all that kind of stuff, but in terms of just dealing with the political issues and things beyond that, he really didn't have that political sensibility. But he didn't have, he saw in he didn't have the idea of serving the public. Service to the public is the form of government that we're supposed to have. Yeah, exactly. But what he saw was a government existing that did nothing but kick the can down to the next generation. And so we repeated this over and over and over. You can't do that in business and survive. I think you're right about the component of meeting the needs for people may be missing. And he has to have a good vice governor for that or she uh, to, to do it, that protect the interest of those people that are not served with uh, a businessman a viewpoint of how government should function. And what about open and honest and accountability? What about open, honest, and accountability? And how do you define that? And where do you find that? It's a defined in the law. That's the person who can do that step forward. We have an Open Meetings Act, and we have a Freedom of Information Act. Let the person step forward. Where do you find it? Among Democrats or Republicans or Independents? No, among people. Well, let's, let's, let's ask this when we talk about uh, accountability and, and uh, balancing budgets and so on. Lawmakers will try and pass a short-term government funding extension by a Friday deadline, but a handful of Republican senators is threatening to gum up the works, raising questions about when the Senate will actually be able to vote. Senate Majority Leader... Chuck Schumer warned on Tuesday that before the end of the week, the Senate must come to an agreement to pass a short-term extension uh, of government funding ahead of the February 18th deadline. He reiterated that he remains optimistic that Democrats and Republicans will keep working together to reach a deal and pass a broader full-year government spending package. But in the meantime, both sides should come to an agreement to make sure the continuing resolution, the short-term funding of the government, is passed by this chamber and avoid 
any even hint of a government shutdown. Is Congress capable of passing a continuing resolution on government spending without the threat of a government shutdown? It's highly doubtful, yeah. Yeah, we used to have that, but we don't know does it require 60 votes in the Senate or 50? Since it's an appropriation, I think they could get by with 50 votes. I, I think they can on a CR. I yeah, I, I think, think that's exactly why they that's keep true. doing them. And, and that's just assuming that a full-blown budget passage is never to be seen again. Well, we had a full-blown budget. You, you you can uh, rest assured that the Republicans will do nothing to shut the government down now. They're on top of the hill and looking forward to success. When they shut that government down, then you know what's going to happen. You think it would be fatal to have the midterm elections? Yes, I think that they're going to... If, if there that. actually was a serious shutdown. Because it's common sense, guys. You want to protect yourself when you have the advantage, fuel advantage. It's it's still a patchwork process where we have all these continuing resolutions every couple of months, and we never have a... a... Well, it'll be interesting to watch, and, you know, tune in next month, and we'll see how it went. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Schumer is calling the shots right now. Yeah, go say, do we lose somebody? I hear some beeps on the line. Yeah, I'm here with you, and I hear you. But yeah. I don't hear. No, I'm here. Are there? Yeah, Bobby's here. We're all here. They're okay. Yeah, we're okay. <laughs> Let's we're not all here, but we're all here. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, Bobby. <laughs> Present. <laughs> Oh, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, Oh, there was one. uh, Yeah, Senate Republicans uh, boycotted a vote Tuesday afternoon in protest of President Joe Biden's nomination of Sarah Bloom Raskin to be the top banking regulator, halting a slate of pending nominees for the Central Bank of the United States. While Republicans support other nominees, including Jay Powell, to continue serving as Federal Reserve Chairman, they are opposed to Raskin's nomination as the Fed's Vice Chair for Supervision since she previously called for the Fed to crack down on bank lending to fossil fuel companies. Raskin, who served as a deputy treasury secretary and a governor of the Federal Reserve Board in the Obama administration, has since said she would not use her position to restrict lending to the oil and gas industry, emphasizing in February banks choose their borrowers, not the Fed. But Republicans have also raised questions about how Reserve Trust, a Colorado financial technology firm, received access to the Fed's payments system while Raskin served on the firm's board. Are Senate Republicans exercising appropriate oversight or carrying water for the oil and gas industry? Oh, Hmm. (laughs) that seems self-explanatory there. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't jump there yet, guys. They're looking at strategy, how to formulate a strategy that would be workable with the Democrats uh, for achieving, getting the most they need to achieve their goals. Is is she related to Jamie Raskin from the the House? I think she might be. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. And and I don't I don't remember seeing any reference to that when I read the well, maybe article not. that I pulled that from. And it seems like that would have been point, kind of up front. The other yeah. point I wanted to make is that Republicans have been, uh, within recent years, uh, very critical of uh, big business. And so you've you got to take this into consideration. She's the one who said ties to the state, right? Yeah. Does she have ties to Michigan State? Is she the one I recall an article? I'm not sure. I I think so. Yeah, there was an article within the last week or so I saw that she was, I don't know if she taught there or had some connection to Michigan State at one point. Hmm. Interesting questions, guys. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's see. Um... 
President Joe Biden said Thursday that he's done a deep dive on four potential candidates to succeed Justice Stephen Breyer on the U.S. Supreme Court, but he declined to name any of the prospective nominees. Uh, the president indicated he would review briefing materials about the potential candidates over the weekend, but no names were discussed. Will there be a new justice confirmed in time for the next SCOTUS session and before the midterm election? Oh, I think so. I think the pressure is going to be on very much before the next session. In fact, yep. the real yeah, the real worry is that uh, if you know, as, as midterms often go for the party in the White House, they often go against the party in the White House. So there's a great deal of pressure to get this done, be certainly before November and certainly before January. Uh, I think so. Is this uh, a two-thirds vote or a uh, uh, just a simple majority vote? Uh, a straight majority, I, I, I believe. I think so. On a I think Senate, that was, Senate yeah, confirmation. majority, it will get done. Yeah. But if it's uh, if it's a big quarter majority, it's, it's maybe problematic. Yeah, I think the, filib- the filibuster was removed for judicial nominations, right? That's right, yeah. yeah there, 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 there was an exception carved out. Um trying to think of exactly who, who, who when that happened within the last half dozen years that they turned out an exception i believe yeah hey i didn't get a chance to to squeeze it in and i'll, I'll try and do kind of a lightning round version of this but did you see where um the michigan state police and the uh, attorney general's office are investigating a married couple with substantial ties to former house speaker lee chatfield I saw that. Really? Didn't they do a raid on the house with yeah. last, yesterday? Yeah. Robin Ann uh, Minard. Yeah. Um, and, and Was the he a question, major staffer for Chatfield or some kind? I, yeah, I, I've got all the, the particulars here, but we just have about a minute and a half before we go to break. But I, I guess what I'm asking is what's driving this wave of investigation into the former House Speaker? Um, you know, it's it's one thing to have, uh, you know, a sex scandal and that turn into an investigation. But now they're they're chasing down uh, money and campaign money and and uh, staff members. Um, and, and I'm just wondering if there's if there's something very political behind these uh Pushes well, for investigation. Was it within the last couple of weeks? Maybe on this program, somebody mentioned that was Chatfield looking at running for something else, and this was just a way of of blocking that. I I, I I don't know. I've not heard anything to that effect. But has anybody heard any stories about him thinking about running for something in the future? Yeah, I don't oh, know. I maybe it's an anti-Trump thing. Is that like brushing him back from the plate? I mean. I don't know. What is the sensible purpose of these raids? Do we know? They're just they're pulling records uh, and and things from these two staffers that that worked. One of them still works for the speaker's office, which is kind of interesting. Mm. Mm. You know, <clears throat> Chatfield uh, just released about twelve inventors of Michigan that were prominent, but. He's running against the grain. Most Americans would like to have at least a token black or a token Hispanic included in that group. But he is, he, he, he's missed these kind of opportunities that will, if he plans to do something else. we got a break here. Play against him. And, and it finally hey. happened. I had to cut somebody <laughs> off. We'll, we'll be right Bye. back. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. WH Wise Carver, the Genesee County Road Commission, Lone Museum Auto Fair, Thomas Appliance, the Genesee Health Plan, Flip Flip Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. 
friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger, and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed, the tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. Collect these paper bags, and I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have Yes, one. speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know, I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And, and when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor, and your mother's doctor, and your college roommate's doctor, and your best friend from high school's doctor, and your babysitter's Oh, I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the uh, X-Files, our final segment on today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. That's those uh, weird and wacky stories. Sometimes they seem a little bit eerily like the uh, regular news stories we talk about on this show, but uh, these are the weird and wacky stories that are uh, strange but true. A Florida man says he jumped from a stolen car seconds before it was hit by a train and sent flying into a nearby home. The sleeping residents uh, were unharmed and the man was uh, 
Later arrested, authorities said, police said the man claimed he stole the car in a good-faith effort to search for his own vehicle after leaving a bar early Saturday <laughs> in, Mar- in Martin County, around 50 miles north of West Palm Beach. Instead, he got stuck on the railroad tracks in the path of an oncoming train. After the crash, the man tried to steal a forklift from a nearby <laughs> fruit stand, which he also vandalized. The Martin County Sheriff's Office uh, had said in a statement, he was arrested after flagging down responding deputies to let them know he was still looking for his car, according (laughs) to the statement. The homeowners were fine, but the explosive sound of a driverless car smashing into the side of their home was clearly jolting. The 38-year-old faces charges of uh, grand theft and criminal mischief, and additional charges are expected. What do you think he wanted to use the forklift for? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) To get around places that the car was inaccessible. I'm just thinking he won't be voting in the next election. (laughs) Yeah, I'm guessing the. When he left the bar, there, something between the bar and, and his leaving there had some connection to all these events. Well, <laughs> he, kicked off he, because he, was, he couldn't find his car. So he right. stole a car <laughs> to go looking for it oh. and got stuck well, on a railroad track. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've had some rough nights, but this guy... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if Wiley Coyote was part of that, it would be a really good cartoon. Right. Yeah. Well, here's uh, another one that caught my eye. A man who wanted to join the protests in Canada's capital over mask mandates called in a bomb threat so police would waste their time <laughs> chasing it, authorities <laughs> said, but he called the wrong Ottawa, a village in Ohio. The man, a 20-year-old from Akron, Ohio, called the Putnam County Sheriff's Office twice Monday, said Sheriff's Captain Brad Brubaker. The first time he made a bomb threat, then in a second call he said he had been shot, Brubaker said. That's when the man found out he was talking with someone in Ohio. He wasn't paying attention and just called the first number he found, Brubaker told the Lima News. He said he was mad about mask mandates. The sheriff's office said it would ask the county prosecutor to consider charges against the man. Shouldn't a 20-year-old from Akron know that an international phone number would be needed to call Ottawa, Canada? You think that? Yeah. A fifth grader knows that. Uh, you know, there's an awful lot of exchange between Canada and Florida of people. I was going to say, is there is there an Ottawa in Florida? There must be an Ottawa in Florida. <laughs> now this this was this this all took place in Ohio. <laughs> I know, but it wasn't wasn't it Canada that was originally? I don't know. Yeah, we have an Ottawa, Michigan too. There's an Ottawa, Illinois. Illinois. Yeah, there's one in yeah. Illinois too. Yeah, yeah. But I bet there's one in Florida somewhere. <laughs> Oh, probably. Well, I wonder if there's one in Massachusetts. A a Massachusetts (laughs) contestant on The Price is Right was hoping to win a getaway to some tropical locale during a recent appearance on the game show. Instead, she she won a trip to neighboring New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine Graham had already won a fire pit and a love seat when she was picked to go on stage and play side-by-side with host Drew Carey. Then she found out she'd be playing for a trip to New Hampshire just across the border (laughs) from Massachusetts. She won uh, by correctly guessing the value of the prize was $7,696 instead of $9,676. Graham confessed she was hoping for somewhere a bit more exotic than the live-free-or-die state, which... (laughs) She said she's already visited a million times. <laughs> I just wish it. I just wish it was Tahiti or someplace or Bora Bora. Cruise around the world, maybe. Graham told WBZ TV, laughing. Do you think that a trip to Ottawa, Canada, might be more exciting? Yeah, maybe a maybe in the cab of a truck, <laughs> but not very tropical. 
I was thinking that the horror of it is she also has to pay income taxes on the value of her prize. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she forgot to just say thank you because many people <laughs> have that opportunity. I would have taken it. Oh, and yeah, you know, I, I would yeah. too, but people go on these game shows and, and you know, they, they see all these people win trips to Tahiti and, and uh, mm-hmm. European vacations and bullfighting in Spain and, and they go to the next state, you know. <laughs> New Hampshire. Right. <laughs> Although I've had some fun in New Hampshire. You could have a good time there. Yeah, it's yeah, a nice state. That, we that's what Joe Biden is Michigan here, yeah. <laughs> That's the home of the president of the United States, isn't it? Delaware. No. It's Delaware. No. You're Delaware. Yeah, okay, I was close. Guys, I was close. Yeah. Which is, which is even close. smaller, I think, than New Hampshire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a lot less mountainous. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for the, uh, for the X-Files and for today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics. I, I did, Henry, I did cut you off as we went into that last break, so I, I didn't, I didn't want to leave you out. I always try and cut you off at least once during the show. Um, but, but all kidding aside, um, Henry, did you have any, any quick thoughts? we got about two, no, two and a half I minutes. I just wanted left. to thank uh, our guest for being so erudite, and we had learned a lot from her, I hope. And uh, and I, I, I hope that it helps me to work well with people who she believes in and who she supports uh, to solve problems for the American people and for Michigan people. We don't have to be at odds all the time. And politics is what's reckless when we don't think through these things. And I thank you for your erudite position. Thank you, Henry. We often agree. I was going to ask, if we have time, I was going to ask Bobby one quick last question. What's going on with the Matthew Smith stuff? Is that is there a recount of some kind going on with those signatures? or what's? Well, the, the, the committee is going through the uh, petitions that had been marked off in the different jurisdictions to confirm that the judgments that threw out the signatures were actually correctly made, and we have discovered a lot of them were badly made, and uh, the county clerk has actually corrected over 30 of those, which brings the count down to 60 that are under the count, and so the committee is now going over those. And what we discovered was that one of the persons that interviewed to be a candidate to run against Smith in the event that we uh, got this adopted he and his wife actually had their signatures rejected by the township clerk. <laughs> okay, well, I, I've seen a couple of headlines on that one. Yeah, yeah so that should be part of, um, part of our discussion. I just think that's ironic and funny. <laughs> well, but it doesn't look like... Um, we will, what we're looking for is to show how the process really does not do the voters good service. Mm. What process is that? Yeah. Because I think the vo- with, with voting being such a subject uh, today and the law changes and the processes and the systems, um, the more that the people on the ground know about how this is being handled by the people that have the authority to handle it and whether they're doing it casually or with great intention, Henry, uh, did you, it needs to be public. Henry, did you ask what process that was that yes, they were talking process. about? It, the... Yeah. the um, uh, confirmation of uh, signatures on petitions to put something on the ballot. Uh, yeah, I, I understand that. I, I okay. thought maybe she was referring to no, something no, different. No, that, no, that's yeah. that. Because I've done that. I've done that. Well, hey, there's smoke and George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but not before I say thank you to our roundtable regulars. Henry Hatter on the right. Thank you so much, Thank Henry. you, Tom. And Paul Rosicki on the left. Thank, thank you, Tom. Have a good evening. And, uh, and of course... We, we rotate that third chair, but it's always a treat when Bobby Clayton Walton joins us. Thank you. I always enjoy the Wednesdays when I'm with you guys. All right. Thank you. Well, take care, and uh, thanks to everybody who tuned in. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.